my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Hello and welcome to the When to Jump podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. This week's guest is a former Olympian turned into culinary arts student. Arian Jones joins me on the show momentarily. She's going to share her favorite recipes, not just for food, but also for success. Yes, that is cheesy. No pun intended there. Food reference. But it was a fun episode. And I think what you'll get from Arian is not only her story, which is super powerful, but also just how focused you need to be when you jump and how taking one or two things from one experience can actually translate really well into a success in something totally different, which you'll see happened exactly for Arian as she left uh, the Olympic Games and that world of elite athletes uh, to go into food. So here's a jump that is not yet totally fully baked, no pun intended, uh, but one that I think you'll enjoy and Arian is just incredible. Uh, jumper herself. She reached out through the When to Jump social media channels on our Instagram feed, tagged us when she was doing it. We had her on the show and I'm very excited to share her interview. So if you've got an interview, share it with us. You could be the next Arian Jones. But for now, let's go straight to the convo with Miss Olympian. You know, your story is a very unique one. You are an Olympian. Yes. Yes, I am. Is that weird when people say you're an Olympian? It is. Yeah, it is weird because, I mean, we spent, I spent so much of my life in sport, you know, where you're this elite athlete and you're you know, in the World Cups and you're competing, but you never really get that title Olympian until this one moment that usually happens, you know, 10 or 15 years throughout your career. Um, so it's such a buildup to to go and compete at the Olympics and then yeah, to be able to have that title that I get to carry around with me for the rest of my life is pretty special and pretty unique and something that I'm incredibly grateful for um, and means a lot to me. And we should probably clarify that I went to the Olympics for luge. And it's funny because, I mean, people are just hearing my voice right now, but even when people see me in person, no one ever guesses luge because I'm not your typical luge looking athlete um so i always make people guess what sport i did and it's always just as entertaining when i get to tell them that i was a professional tobogganer oh my gosh and you are a professional tobogganer you credited being an olympic baby is that right yeah well i'm from calgary alberta in canada and calgary had the olympics in 1988 so before i was born but the amazing thing about the olympics is in a city that had to build all these venues for the Olympics. It had to build, you know, Illusion bobsled track and Olympic oval and ski jumps and all these amazing facilities that after the Olympics, they leave a legacy in that city that hosted the games where so many kids and individuals get to try these activities. So because this luge track was right in the city of Calgary, practically in my backyard, when I was a kid, I got to go try this amazing sport. Um, so I'm kind of what's called, you know, an Olympic legacy baby from, from the Calgary Olympics, because if Calgary hadn't ever had those games, there's no way I ever would have gotten involved in a sport like luge, which is pretty amazing. And then within luge, you, as you said, you weren't the, the prototypical 
success story in terms of always going to be a luge Olympian, always going to make it. You said your body size wasn't what they necessarily wanted. This is the ultimate stage for someone in luge, I feel like, is going to the Olympics. And you're told pretty early on, not so fast. Yeah, that's exactly it. I am, you know, five foot four. I'm not very tall. I'm pretty small boned. I'm not a big person. And, you know, the analogy I always like to give for people that don't really know much about luge or gravity sports um, is that, of course, if you're at the top of a hill with a bowling ball and a golf ball and you push them both down the hill, the bowling ball is obviously going to get to the bottom faster. However, in my sports story, I was always the proverbial golf ball. So with that, once I started, you know, when I was junior national, still young enough, they kept saying to me, hey, put on size, you know, hopefully you'll grow. And it started becoming really obvious to me when I traveled internationally that I was very much the smallest one on the circuit. Um, A lot of the European women were very tall and much bigger than I was, which was the prototypical luge body type because you were heavy, which was going to help you go faster down the track. So when I went to start making the national team, I was told pretty clearly by a lot of individuals that I was too small, I didn't have the right body type, and it simply wasn't going to work for me to compete at a high caliber. Yeah, so the cards stacked against Aaron Jones, the aspiring lugeist, if that's a word. (laughs) Luger. (laughs) Luger. That's probably a little bit better of a word uh, for being someone who luges. And describe that feeling because I do want to get to your jump and, and it wasn't to, to become an elite level athlete, although you obviously did that. It was, it was to leave that world, but describe that breakthrough feeling. Like what was it like, you know, not just for yourself, but uh, to prove to others that, that had maybe bet against you that, that you made it to that stage when the time came, I believe it was 2014. Yeah, it was in 2014 that I competed um, at the Olympics. It, it was amazing. You know, I was told, you know, pretty firmly when I was trying to make the national team at 18 and 19 years old that you're too small, you're never going to make it an elite level in the sport, your body type simply not the right size. And at that point, I mean, yeah, obviously that did not feel good at all. And I kind of had a choice to make in that moment of it was really easy to give up and listen to the voices of what everyone else was telling me, or I made the choice of saying, you know, I'm going to, I guess I kind of jumped at that point too and said, I'm really, I'm really going to try. Growing six inches is not in my control right now. So I have to let that go and I have to stop dwelling on that. So therefore, how am I going to be the best at every other aspect that is in my control? I obviously tried to put on as much weight and as much size as I could for my body frame, but I tried to control everything else. I tried to make sure that my starts were the fastest, that I drove the best lines, that I spent the most time on my sled tech, you know, that I was the strongest in the gym, all of those things that I knew I could control. And that ended up becoming my strength. I think that I felt that I trained harder and trained smarter in all of the areas that were in my control. Um, And so it felt amazing to, in 2014, to be able to compete at the Olympics. And actually later that year, um, the next season in 2014, to win my first World Cup medal, both of those moments for me were incredible because 
not only, it wasn't as if when I made the national team finally when I was 19, people went, great, you're here, you made it, we didn't think you could, and now we believe in you. It was a constant struggle throughout my whole career of so many people doubting me and saying, okay, well, we didn't really think you'd make the national team, and now you did, and that's great. So maybe aim for top 10. You know, then I'd get top 10, and they'd go, wow, we really didn't think that was going to happen, but you've really maxed out now. Like, this is your peak. So that was frustrating throughout my whole career. So to be able to achieve, you know, the Olympics and a World Cup medal and these feats that everyone my whole life told me wasn't possible felt amazing for myself and also just to prove to myself that I really could accomplish anything that I set my mind to. So, I mean, that in itself is a, is it just a crazy story of pushing through a lot of adversity? And it reminds me of that, um, the serenity prayer, you know, like knowing the difference between what you can control uh, and what you can't and having the wisdom to know the difference. Exactly. It, it really does. I, of course, it's funny. I didn't know of that prayer really as I was kind of a teenager and early 20s growing up, but that's kind of exactly what it was. And actually something that played a really important role for me was a book that I read, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And it talks a lot about stoicism and it's almost kind of plays along that same line where, you know, you're not in charge or in control of a lot of instances that happen in your life. However, you are in control of your attitude and how you react to things. And yeah, that's exactly how I had to view my career because I, you know, I really had no other choice. So that's what I decided to focus my attention on. I was going to ask you about that, actually, about what you were reading, but also, you know, what if someone is on their way to work or listening to this and they're not a, a loser or a illusionist in my world, uh, <laughs> but they are thinking of their own, you know, challenges. They are proverbially undersized for what they're supposed to do or told they can't do it. You know, is there anything from your discipline? I mean, you were at the greatest stage and the highest level that you can compete at for what you set out to do. Was there anything that you looking back that that someone could apply you know, to their own life that you were applying to your work ethic and practice routine? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of aspects, one of them being that, you know, to think in a positive mindset was massive for me because there was, and I think this applies to anyone's struggles. There's so many either people out there that are going to think negatively or things that are being said to you that I just had to keep myself positive and keep control of my attitude. And I think that's really important for people to remember. One other thing that's really important is even though there were so many people in my life that were telling me I couldn't accomplish this is creating a team around you and finding who your tribe and your people are. And I always called it my team Jones. And these were the people that whether they were physiotherapists or my parents or my siblings or significant others or close friends of mine, they were my people that I knew when I was having a tough day because that's inevitable on a journey like this when you're trying to push the limits in anything that you're accomplishing. You're going to have really hard days and brick walls you run into that you re- you cannot do it alone. And you have to have those people around you that are going to be there to pick you up on those low days when you don't have any motivation left yourself. So that was something that was incredibly important for me was find finding your people that are going to really be there for you, um, not only when things are going great, but when things are going not so great. Um, and yeah, persevering is 
massive. I think people need to realize that it's going to be really difficult, but it's going to be worth it. You know, there's going to be so many ups and downs and moments where you have to make choices. And that's something where, yeah, that actually that philosophy of the stoicism and the obstacle being the way was really important for me because these massive obstacles would come up in front of my vision and whether it was a race I had to qualify for or I'd crashed or it was an injury or anything like that, it I had to change my perspective on how I viewed that moment instead of feeling broken and upset over all of these instances, which it's okay to feel that for a moment, but then to pick yourself back up again and view that obstacle in front of you as a challenge to overcome that's going to make you a better version of yourself is a really interesting mindset switch, just kind of switching into that growth mindset of how, what am I going to use from this obstacle? How is this going to make me better? How am I going to spin this situation and stay positive and rely on my people? Like that was, those were pretty, some pretty key elements for me that I think can help anyone that's trying to jump or, you know, do something extraordinary that way. Uh, We didn't mention what you started to think about doing next and tell the audience your jump from Olympic athletic stuff to I'm in jump all the way from the professional tobogganer Olympic winter sport world all the way over to food and that is where you are now yeah I'm currently living in New York City I'm actually going to this amazing culinary school here And this is a good probably lesson for those thinking that they always have to have kind of that passion, lifelong dream to fulfill when they jump. But it doesn't sound like that was the case for you with food. No, it wasn't at all. I honestly, you know, my mom would laugh at me because when I was in my sport career, sometimes I would think, I have no idea what I'm ever going to do after sport. Like literally not a clue. And I would stress about it sometime and and she would always tell me, Things are going to work out. Things have a way of popping up in your life right when they're supposed to. And I've always found that the most frustrating advice ever Um, for some, you know, type A personality that needs to have all the answers and see how things are going to work out. But no, I had no idea what I was going to do after sport. And I, especially leading up to the Olympics, um, it's so, you're so solely focused into that, that for me, I liked taking a little bit of school here and there, but I takes so much energy especially those two years leading up to the olympics that you're fully focused into that and not thinking about anything else um and then actually a year or two after 2014 um, i got really injured and i broke my back i mean it was a very serious moment for me and i made a big plan on this is how i'm gonna you know try and heal myself on a physio front on a training front on a acupuncture front and another a big component of that was food and I found some pretty cool people that I, I made part of my team, Jones, that taught me about food in a way that I'd never thought about it before in my entire career as an athlete. And through that process, it rocked my world on how amazing food could make me feel. And it just totally changed my perspective on what I was fueling my body with as an athlete. 
And so through that process, it totally opened my eyes up to this world of food that I didn't even realize before. Before food was just, how do I get as many calories in me as possible because I'm hungry and hangry and tired after training? So that kind of sent me down a little bit of a rabbit hole of wanting to get more educated in that world and getting all of my natural nutrition education um, and just that only leading to more and more interest about food and wanting to learn a bit more about the culinary aspect of food. What was it where you were like, this is going to go for me from a hobby or a budding interest to to my next move, to my jump? Because that seems like a really big uh, bridge to cross. Yeah, it is a big bridge to cross. Um, I think, I mean, I was in a unique situation where, you know, after my injury, I, I did end up coming back and getting back on the podium and life was good. But turns out soon after that, you know, my body kind of started spiraling downwards and sending me some pretty strong signals saying, hey, you know, Ariane's body here, we really can't put up with this stress of sport and elite sport and luge anymore. Um, it was kind of forced real quick to think about, you know, full-time healing my body and what I was going to do next. And all I knew at that point was this world of food and nutrition was absolutely fascinating to me. And I'd taken a lot of university courses before that I kind of just did because you're supposed to. Um, I took business courses and psychology and all of this and I, I did it and I, it was interesting and it was fine, but all of a sudden this food world, I was just fascinated in it and I just wanted to read books about it all the time and, you know, buy more books and listen to more podcasts. And I went, this is something I'm realizing I'm very interested in. I think I'm just going to take a jump into this world and see what happens. And as I started some schooling into that world and just learning more and more every day, I would come home and just be so excited about what I learned and mind blown about all this information. And it actually dawned on me a few minutes later, I went, wow, this is actually something in a very different way than sport that I feel very passionate about. I feel so lucky that it's, I found something else that I was passionate about um, after sport because that was something that was really important to me to find. Looking back, food is something that, of course, as an athlete has been present my entire life. And has been something in the back of my mind I've always been interested in and liked cooking and, you know, all of these small aspects when you look back and you see things that were present in your life without really knowing it. Um, yeah, and that's kind of how I got where I am right now. And so where are you right now? Describe kind of the situation because I, I remember thinking how cool it was when I called you, that, you know, you're really living in the present right now. Yeah, so I am going to a school called the Natural Gourmet Institute and it's in New York City and it's an amazing culinary program that combines not only culinary school but with a food philosophy that really matches how I think about food. And we take into consideration eating seasonally, eating locally, eating organic, um, using whole real foods as much as possible in everything that we cook. And that was really important to me because I didn't wanna just go learn how to cook really amazing things for the sake that they maybe look amazing on, on a plate, but all it is is sugar, um, which is cool sometimes, don't get me wrong on that front. But I just loved that this school, its philosophy really matched with how I liked to eat and just focusing on like these real amazing foods 
that Mother Nature gave us and just the best possible quality of food because when you have the best ingredients that you're cooking with, you know, you combine these amazing ingredients with some good culinary technique and it turns out amazing. I mean, I'm sure anybody listening can think of when you pick vegetables, right, a tomato right from the vine from a garden, whether it's your grandparents' garden or your garden or whatever, it tastes completely different than if you're just buying it at a superstore. And all of a sudden this tomato is just speaking for itself and is so amazing. And I think that's what's just really spoke to me about this amazing culinary program. And I thought if I'm going to learn about food and I just wanted more hands-on food time, I'm going to go to a school that really matches with my, I guess, my food morals. And it's a program that's the only one like it in the world. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm really going to do this. And I hopped myself on a plane and flew myself to New York City. And you have planned only up until this point, right? You are letting yourself be lucky as we speak. A hundred percent. Yeah, which is really daunting for me. I'm very much a planner and a goal setter and what's coming next, which was definitely one of my strengths in sport, having schedules and plans and goals and all of that really helped me. And, you know, that part comes quite easily to me. So it's actually very difficult for me not to be planning everything right now, but it's a very refreshing change of pace where I just knew that I felt like I needed to take the jump to just come to New York City and go to this school without knowing exactly what was coming after it. You know, so many people asked me before I left, well, what exactly are you going to do with this? Which was a frustrating question for me because my answer was always, I don't know. But I just felt in my gut so strongly that this is what I was supposed to do. And I was just going to jump two feet into this and learn so much and trust that gut feeling that I knew it was exactly where I was supposed to be and that something was just going to line up with a lot of, you know, tinkering ideas that I had in my mind. And I'll see what comes out of that when I'm done school, but I'm really enjoying just the program is so full on and so busy that I'm just letting myself be fully immersed into it. I guess I've got a couple of questions here as we finish. One, what would be your go-to recipe or dish for listeners to take home with them as they, as they learn more about you, the chef? Yeah, that would be great. So I think, oh my gosh, of course you asked me that. And here's the funny thing. I'm cooking, you know, we cook 20, 30, 40 recipes all day at school. And I come home and people go, what do you make? And my brain goes, oh my God, I can't even, I've made so many things. I can't even think of it. But, you know, I'm, because New York is so hot right now, um, I'm pretty obsessed with making my smoothies every morning to get all this amazing fruits and vegetables and eating seasonally from the farmer's market getting all this amazing, you know, antioxidants and nutrients and all these amazing things into my body before I head to school. Um, but we've actually been playing with making polenta cakes out of fresh corn off the cob at school lately for a project that we're doing. And they are so easy to make and they are unreal delicious, especially because corn is about to be really in season in the summer. And it's a really different way to kind of eat your corn instead of corn on the cob. Um, so we'll have to we'll have to send a recipe and, and link to that. It's something pretty fun that is really easy and looks very impressive when you toss it onto whatever meal you're making. Oh, that's so good. Well, we will definitely link to it. And where can people find you and follow you on social media and all that stuff as you as you begin this budding new jump? 
or career yeah. really. Yeah. So I feel like the best place right now is probably on Instagram at Jones Ariane. Um, I've been putting, you know, posting a lot of stories lately. Everyone always, I post stories, kind of what I'm doing at culinary school every day or how I'm, what I'm doing in New York city every day related typically to places I'm eating food and exploring that way. Last question for you, Arian Jones, Olympian turned budding chef. Is there anything that you're learning in this new jump that you're like, oh, this is kind of like my old life as a loser? Yeah, there is a lot of similarities, actually, um, in the way that, I mean, right now, being a chef, I mean, it takes an incredible amount of hard work and focus and deliberation and in what you're doing. Um, you know, every day we're cooking in a team. So it's interesting that way, whereas a luge athlete, I was an individual competitor, yet I trained on a team and we all had to work together to raise each other up. The exact same thing happens in the kitchen. Yes, I'm my own chef cooking my own things at school or wherever I am, but I'm also part of a team and I need to collaborate really well with that team. I need to communicate really well with that team so that we can all work extremely hard together to end, to lead to an amazing end result. So there's a lot of similarities that I found between those two worlds. Um, and something actually that many of my classmates made fun of me uh, the past few days was we, we have a bunch of cook exams throughout school where maybe it's a pastry exam or specifics that way. And we just had the craziest week of cooking so many things. And I came home and I was exhausted and I was like, I can't, I need to practice making this pastry for my pastry exam tomorrow. But I simply can't. I'm too exhausted. I can't even move right now. And so instead, I was laying on my bed. And with luge, I used to do a ton of visualization. We only got so many runs down the track in Europe. And so I would lay in my sled and I would visualize how does the track feel and what am I doing just to learn that track and learn those nuances and high speed. And I went, well, I wonder if I could apply that to the kitchen. And so I laid in bed and I ran through every single step of my pastry exam, all the recipes and the measurements. And I've pictured myself moving around the kitchen what things would feel like and what they would look like exactly like I did in sport. And I did that a lot of times and I fell asleep. And it was amazing how the next day in kitchen, I felt so confident moving around the kitchen and everything happened seamlessly. And it was the best that I'd done yet. And a few of my classmates went, how did you finish so early? Like you powered through that so quickly. And I kind of sheepishly told them that I'd visualized my pastry exam and they all laughed pretty hard and they were like, well, I guess that's what you get when you, when you mix sport and kitchen. So that's pretty fun. Well, I will leave it right there. I can't wait to follow all your successes and share uh, some of these polenta recipes and hopefully uh, have you back in the Wendy Jump community in some way, uh, whether it's at an upcoming festival or on our pod again or through social media. But I love, love this story and am so appreciative for you coming on the When to Jump podcast, Aaron. Thanks so much for having me. That will do it for the When to Jump podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Shout out to everyone who has reached out to us to share their jumps. We now share jumps and shout outs in our newsletter. We got a dedicated section that comes out every week. So go to whentojump.com and sign up for the newsletter there. You can follow us on social at whentojump across all of the social media uh, channels and accounts and handles and we hope to see you at Jump Club Boston this fall September 7th and 8th more information on the website 
My name is Mike Lewis. Thank you for joining the show, and I will see you next week. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. 